Hey there, and uh, welcome to the seventh installment of the New Feel, New Look We've Been Had, where we discuss, uh, maybe debate, uh, we don't debate too much, um, where we discuss albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Billy. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, uh, the deal with the show, if you are new to it, is that we take turns picking an album, and then we both go off and listen and read and uh, come back here and talk about it. This time around, it was my pick. Um, I chose Blondie's Parallel Lines. And uh, yeah, let's uh, we can get right into that. I'm, I might end up being a little loopy on my end um, just because I spent all day watching TV um, being like, this, this is good news for once. Um, so what Keith isn't saying is that he was watching uh, Law and Order straight through in <laughs> yes. chronological order. So starting with season one, going all the way through. It was good news that they finally caught the guy. <laughs> was just, he was really giving him fits. Um, yeah, so uh, Tombstone Info for Parallel Lines. We got it uh, released 1978 in September on Chrysalis Records. Does a label don't kind of... I don't know what the history of Chrysalis is. They don't hear about them much anymore. What's Produced a cool by, name. Yeah, like Chrysalis, like, nice metaphorical. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of record labels that were, you're like, like, okay, you know, like, Maverick. Great. <laughs> a lot of thought went into that. Um... Album was produced by Mike Chapman, who I guess was kind of a well-regarded producer, but not like an A-list producer until this album, and then I guess he leveled up. And this was the band's third album, with uh, you know also with them leveling up. Um, I think it's good if we throw in a description, but I've been talking straight through. Um, if you've, how would you describe this album? Well, I mean, I think I think to set the stage, I mean, I think one of the cool things is just the art. Like, yeah. Um, you know, just like the... So, I mean, the album's called Parallel Lines. Yeah. Uh, and you have you know, Debbie Harry dressed in white, flanked by the rest of the band, dressed in all black with white shirts. So it's kind of... Like, it has this sort of cool visual element that sort of hammers home the... You know, the the idea that the the album's called Parallel Lines. It's just it it reminded me like like how records used to have cool covers. Yeah. Um, and you know, on, on vinyl you could actually see the cover. You know, it's not like so when we were kids, at least when I was a kid, I bought a lot of music on tape. Yeah. And like you really don't get the whole even CDs. <laughs> like it's just it's too small. Like you yeah. just don't get the you don't get the art the yeah. things. You're right, and that picture in particular is just a really striking cover. It really just jumps, jumps out at you. I there's this thing, and maybe we'll get more into it later, but I just with Blondie in general, I think it's fascinating how like you know, there's always this thing with bands where like the persona of the lead singer becomes the persona of the band a lot of the time, and like. You know, I mean, they named the band Blondie and Debbie Harry's front and center. And like, I, you know, I think it gets blurry to the point where like, I think there are people who just think that 
Blondie is her like stage name and you know she has this anonymous gang of backing guys and and, and that cover like kind of weirdly like I don't think intentionally but like you could look at that cover and think like yeah that's what's going on here yeah I mean it is a weird uh, so I guess I never really gave Blondie a lot of credit uh, as a band um, same but listening to this album was really it was really fun like i i guess i didn't realize that like debbie harry has the like ability to do the like steve earl like gravel tone yeah yeah like, she's got a lot of range yeah it's and the guitar work is is really fantastic like it's yeah. i don't know it's just it's kind of cool to to listen to it and be like and you know like i had always sort of Peg Blondie is a disco band, yeah. Um, but and I I'll be curious to hear how you describe them because like you could make a point for a number of different styles of music on this album. Yeah, and I've I've got that flagged as a thing to talk about pretty soon. Um, so just to talk about the like the high level description of the music, I've got a couple notes saying that like if you know Blondie from classic rock radio. Um, you know, there's a lot of that here. Like this one's kind of hit heavy. Um, looking at the whole thing, I guess if you somehow hadn't heard it, I would describe it as like this weird kind of like disciplined rocking where like the band's rocking out, you know, and the, the songs are distorted, but with like a lot of gloss on them, but like everything's really spacious and kind of, you know, locked into its place. And uh, you, you know, you've got all that going on behind Debbie Harry with this really distinctive voice. And, you know, I mean, going from that into um, into this thing with categorization, like, I, I, this is a good example of how, like, music musical categories are just arbitrary and don't mean anything. Because, like, what the hell do you really call this? You know, um, they're contemporaries and peers of the New York City punks, but... I don't think there's a definition of punk that would include this really, unless, you know, unless it's so vague that it doesn't mean anything. Um, maybe you could call it post-punk, but I, you know, there's a bunch of questions there. Um, I don't know. What do you think? First, first, I really dislike the term post-punk and proto-punk, uh, because like, I don't like, I've never been clear what those what they're trying to identify with those two terms, but um, maybe that's just my bent on things. Like, I don't know. Like, I think I'm wondering if we should start talking about music in terms of and not trying to box things into like specific labels. I think um, that's the the best. But but yeah, I mean, I I don't know how you would class if you were trying to explain it to the proverbial alien that yeah. you know it's never although. I don't know. Can it be proverbial if there's no proverb? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but y- you, uh, you know, what would you say? I mean, first of all, the first thing that's kind of interesting is it starts with a cover. Yeah, a really good cover. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I noted was that, like, there's this kind of, like, subset of covers where the cover version is more popular than the original. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know, did, 
like when I I didn't realize it was a cover until maybe a few years ago when it tripped my Spotify. Yeah, I first heard hanging on the telephone um, with the Golden Smog covering it, and mm. I was like, I thought like, oh, they're covering Blondie, and like had no idea that it was like a cover of a cover. Uh, it is weird generational thing. So that's actually on them because I was at that show with you and I have a bootleg and they say Blondie at okay. the end. Those sons of bitches. So, I mean, somebody's not formatting their covers in proper APA style. <laughs> Harsh. That's um, right. If I see Gary Luras, I'm going to bring that up with him. I, I could make that happen. I suppose you could. Yeah, you live near one of the Jayhawks. So. Yeah, just leave a note in a mailbox and let things progress. Was he uh, ever in Golden Smog? Tim O'Regan? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he was, he kind of was their fallback drummer after, you know, like, like the peak era, they had the guy, well, they had the guy from the Honey Dogs. First they had Chris Mars, then the guy from the Honey Dogs. Then Jody they Stevens. like Jody Stevens, which like holy fuck. And then like, I think after Jody Stevens, they just started having Tim O'Regan, like you know the like the decadent Golden Smog phase where it's just the Jayhawks and Craig Johnson. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I wanted to rewind just a tiny bit back to the the categories thing though. Yeah. Because um, the other thing I wanted to say on that is that like. I do hear Blondie get tagged most often as a new wave band. Um, and they kind of check some boxes there, but that also drives me kind of nuts because I feel like new wave is just kind of this catch-all for like anything that we respect around 1980 that isn't punk. Um, you know, and then like, I don't know, you know, stuff gets bent to fit into that it's kind of it's not dissimilar from you know like alternative yeah as a as a genre um, where you're like if all the music sounds like that is it really alternative like yeah yeah i guess it's like alternative to like warrant (laughs) i think you know in the in the 90s the whole point of the existence of collective soul was they were they were there to be like no okay this is what it's the alternative to here you know this is what we're this is the baseline so interesting collective soul tangent i'm sure i've told you this story but i had when i was in college i had this bullshit job working for the city of edina yeah um which had me driving around setting up like a traffic counter traffic counters yeah um and the guy that i worked with told me and i don't know why i remember this but he's like i know a lot of people who know a lot about music and they think collective soul is going to be the next big band (laughs) wrong sir you are wrong i uh i believe i'm 90 percent sure that collective soul that their big hit was in my uncle's cover band's repertoire (laughs) i'm 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 only hesitating to fully commit to that because that is so like such a, a thing that my brain might have just like gone ahead and filled in colors there but i'm pretty sure i saw them do that that's i 
I it's one of my great disappointments that I never got to see Quid Pro Quo perform live. <sighs> you know, as long as everyone's still drawing breath, hope still hope's still a chance. Yeah. So one of the things I flagged as a question for you is is like, what is your favorite cover by another artist that's become more famous? Oh, um, um, I'm totally drawing a blank, um, which is stupid. I think, okay, I was going to say Patti Smith doing Because the Night, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that's really a cover because I think she... You know, it's just that he wrote it, that Springsteen wrote it. Um, you know what, though? It is, you okay. Glo- you could do Gloria. Actually, like. it, I got a different one that is still weirdly Patti Smith. Um, so, I'm not super into U2 anymore, but I still have, like, a bunch of fond memories of, like, B-sides and singles and shit from the late 80s, and there's... There was one single where they they did Patti Smith's Dancing Barefoot, and it's really good. Like, it's really, like, um, just the edge sounding really weird and paranoid playing guitar. Um, so that's a pretty good cover. That's Yeah, it's interesting. When you get older, like, it seems like you become more interested in U2 the plane and less interested <laughs> in U2 the band. Like That is, that is my trajectory, exactly. <laughs> What would you say? I, you know, so like I weirdly have always liked uh, the Downtown Train, like the Rod Stewart's cover of the Tom Waits song. Oh, I didn't even, you know, like I've got this giant Tom Waits blind spot. I had no idea that was a cover, and that's really weird that that Rod Stewart covered Tom Waits. That's a, that's that's a hell of a visual. I don't know what to make of that. Did I tell you that when we were in Berlin a couple of years ago, I guess in 2019, Rod Stewart was doing this like mega three night stand playing just, you know, a series of shows in Berlin and like I, a tiny part of me wishes we would have gone like not even like, like I, I think seeing modern Rod Stewart would be awful, but just how awesome would it be to be like, yeah, went to Berlin caught rod stewart that's uh i mean it's not at all similar but uh i was in kansas city with some college friends and an uber driver told us that he was going to a cypress hill concert yeah and we briefly considered going to see you know because when you're in missouri cypress hill (laughs) you know uh, talking about I mean, so the thing with hanging on the telephone, the, there's this interesting thing, too, with just with covers that you don't know are covers. Um, like, another thing that I can think of there is uh, the R.E.M. song, Strange, that I always thought was just, like, this great, like, kind of uncharacteristic R.E.M. banger and, like, was deep into adulthood when I found out that that's a cover of a Wire song. And I'm just like, what? What? Wire? What? And, like, the Wire version isn't even that good, to my tastes. <laughs> you're going to have six really angry Wire fans reaching out to you. 
wire. Not my thing. I don't know. Oh, go if ahead. you had to, if you had to choose between uh, going to a Wire concert and a Billy Squire concert, which one are you going to? Um, I don't. I might go to Billy Squire. <laughs> it's morbid curiosity. I, I guess the know. people the people watching would be better at Billy Squire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, reeling this back to, to Blondie. <laughs> so, I don't know, just, like, let's talk about the band a little bit. Like, it's weird. Like, I have this, you know, I've tried to push past the idea of just seeing the lead singer as the band. Um, and I think I've done that. But at the same time, like, to me, Blondie, the band, basically seems like Debbie Harry and Chris Stein and then just, like, this rotating cast of other yeah, the people. attractions. Yeah. Just who, you know, whoever the bass player is right now. And yeah, I don't know that, I mean, that seems to work fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they seem to, I mean, they seem to have a very cohesive sound. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I did, reading a little bit about the album, it sounds like the producer was not super thrilled with their like work ethic and musicianship when, yeah. uh, when they went in to record it. But, um, I mean, you can't really argue with the end product. It's really, right. it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever dysfunction was there, it was functional dysfunction. I, um, I don't know. Debbie Harry is just interesting. I read that book, uh, "Please Kill Me: The The Oral History of," excuse me, of New York Punk, and like the thing I came away with from that is that everyone involved in the early years of New York Punk was just a shithead. Um, <laughs> you know, either a shithead or a train wreck, or a train wreck in ways that made them a shit. You know, more of a shithead. And I think like, you just described two Lou Reed phases. Yeah. Well, he was. Like, that book just torched my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, and, like, yeah, I came out of that, like, Debbie Harry and Joey Ramone were the only people in that entire narrative who I was like, well, this person seems cool and would be fun to spend time with. <laughs> and she came across as really cool. Like, I actually, like, really came out of that thinking, like, wow, Debbie Harry, she's really funny. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what, I mean, I really don't know a ton about her. Um, you know, I'd always just, like I said earlier, I think just sort of written Blondie off as a, as, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not even clear why I wrote them off. I just, uh, I don't know. Well, I think what they, I think there's kind of the rolling, the classic rock Rolling Stones problem where like, Classic rock picks a handful of songs, or classic rock radio picks a handful of songs, and they can be pretty good songs, but they just play them into the dirt, and you're like, oh, it's, it's those fucking people behind Heart of Glass again. Yeah, and I, yeah, just to use the Stones analogy, it's like when you hear, like, Sticky Fingers uh, or Beggar's Banquet, you're like, why don't they play these on the radio? Yeah. Why don't... I, I, I don't know that I've... I'm sure I've heard hanging on the telephone on the current, you know, like on the music head alternative focused 
radio station, but I don't think I've ever heard it played on a classic rock station. Yeah, I think so. Um, one other question I had for you is, uh, did you did you know that the lyrics to One Way or Another were so dark? <laughs> Not really. Like, no. how did I miss that? Because the because uh, because it's just so catchy and such a jam that like you're so busy rocking out that you don't uh you know i guess i still like they don't even really register i i to me every time i hear that now i'm just so like yeah like to the guitar part and to her delivery i'll follow your bus downtown (laughs) (laughs) it's it's great yeah no it's just just really like like it's they pulled the the police trick where like they (laughs) Like they they made this song about a stalker, but they but everybody misunderstood it. Everybody being just me, but and me, and you. Yeah. I I have this other weird baggage with that song, where like that was another part another part of the reason that I kind of held Blondie at arm's length for so long was I just I remember like I think this is when we were rooming together actually, and we were, we had ESPN on all the time. Um, I just remember watching some ESPN, you know, football wrap-up thing, and they're talking about how Michael Strahan is, you know, he'll sack you so tough, he'll sack you one way or another. And then they had this, like, highlights package where they just kept playing, like, this, like, 10-second clip of one way or another showing him sack someone, and then they do it again, and then they do it again, and then they... And, like, it just made me hate the song, you know, just by, like, Clockwork Orange style. And yeah, it, I mean, the real villain there is Michael Strahan. I mean, he's <laughs> easily more hateable. I, yeah, I blame whatever just coked-up producer at ESPN thought that it would be good to do an endless repetition gag. Well, I mean, pre or early internet, I mean, ESPN was kind of just a, like, pop culture fountain, right? Like, they would just, it's like watching Family Guy or something. Like, they would just try to work as many pop culture references into their programming as they could. You know, it's a weird thing to think about. Like, you talked about you get older and you get less on board with U2 the band and more on board with U2 the plan. Like, another big, like, just age shift that, like, fucks with my head is I cannot believe there was a time when I, like, I thought Chris Berman was funny and cool and, you know, would be like, oh, I gotta, gotta catch, I don't even remember what the show was, but, you know, the highlight show where he'd always say it could go all the way. Like, oh, fuck, yeah, I gotta see that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I think it's good that your that your tastes change as you age. Yeah. Because I think they tend, at least for most people I know, they tend to change or move towards quality. And yeah, uh, you know, like that's saying that you know, like I'm gonna, I'm totally gonna start being like, you know, what I'm really into now is noise rock. Ah. <laughs> oh. We live in a noisy world. I uh, so circling way back to just to the band. One thing that relieved me and disappointed me is that I 
you know, a year or two ago, I tried to read this terrible book about Aleister Crowley that had was written by Gary Lachman, who had been the bass player for Blondie. And uh, at least according, depending on who you ask, um, was kicked out of the band for being too into Aleister Crowley. Um, <laughs> and it was a dog shit book. Like it was, it was just, it was a very badly written book about, you know, like, like totally like taking the, taking for granted that like, yes, this man who said he was a wizard could turn himself invisible. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, sadly, Gary Lachman had left Blondie before, just before Parallel Alliance was recorded. So I was all stoked to like look for like occult meaning in the bass parts and just none there. Yeah, that's... Uh, it- I feel like, and I don't, I don't know how I would get the data on this, but I feel like you could correlate like people that are really into Aleister Crowley with like broadsword ownership, like <laughs> you know, like you know, like I feel like they're like there's just something, you know, they're just like these two weird distinct things that touch each other right there, and I. Uh, I think it's interesting, too, how there's, like, this weird, like, gradation of musicians who are into Aleister Crowley, you know, like, Bowie had a phase where he was really into Aleister Crowley, and, you know, like, okay, Bowie, like, top, top tier musician. Jimmy Page was, like, Bowie's rival for, like, top Crowley head, and, you know, like, again, like, up there, you know, whatever his problems, like, very major musician, um, you know, uh, just like a steep decline from there to like one of the revolving bass players in Blondie from before they were big. Like I, I just picture like, you know, some like Crowley conference where like Bowie and Page are in the corner being like, yeah, you know, and then Gary Lockman can come over and be like, hey guys. Yeah, right. There's like they're having this like really detailed uh, intellectual discussion about Crowley and uh, Ozzy Osbourne rolls in. He's like. Did you catch my song, Mr. Crowley? <laughs> Ozzy. Okay, stupid question. Ozzy is still alive, right? As far as I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on your definition of, like, alive. Like, he's, he might even be touring. Jesus. <sighs> I, I don't know what to make of that. Um. <laughs> Well, so to uh, to hop back then, just to talk about the album itself, like big picture. To me, and maybe this is me like projecting my uh, my exposure to the songs onto it. With this this whole album to me feels like one where there are singles and some filler, and like the singles are just fucking apex predator great. And then the filler, like, is never bad, but, you know, it ranges from okay to pretty good with, like, a definite step down in quality. Like, excuse me. I don't know. Does that track or not? I mean, I guess it's, I wouldn't, I I think the hits are really, really good. I mean, I I actually find it to be, like, a really listenable album all the way through. Um, not, 
you know, like, I don't know that I would just kind of, you know, there just aren't that many albums that I like to, like, listen to straight through. So yeah. this is, but this one is a, it just has good pacing, and it. I feel like it, it is a, you know, that's one of the things I've enjoyed is just putting it on the car, putting it on the radio in the car when I'm driving somewhere. I, you know, there's this interesting thing. Um, I had never, this is like such a obvious musical thing that had never occurred to me. And once it was pointed out, like, I just, I noticed it everywhere. But, so I remember when we saw Neil Young, um, like, we're talking after the show, and our friend Jen is like, well, one thing he did that I thought really made it good was he, you know, he never played more than two songs in a row that had the same um, tempo. You know, he changed up the tempo and changed up the beats, and you need to do that to make a good show. And, like, I had never thought of that, and she's like, like, that's completely fucking true and like so obvious and so fundamental and i think like this album does that too that like it you know you you're never locked into like i don't know you know three just like pound and thrashers or you know three ballads you know like it does a really good job of like changing what it's throwing at you so that you're engaged all the way through yeah, it's like the opposite of a Slayer album. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess my conception of a Slayer album. I've never, I don't think I've ever actually listened to a Slayer album straight through. But. Oh, man. You just, you can't handle, you can't stare. That is correct. I, can, I cannot handle <laughs> it. You gotta be able to look the devil in the face. Um, I. One wish I had for this album, like I, I like it a lot. I wish Chapman had let the guitars sound just a little raunchier. You know, like a lot of the times, like the guitars are distorted and crunchy, but there's this compressed reverb on them that, like, you know, that, that just it sounds tame in a way that a lot of guitar sounds. You know, especially moving into the '80s, like. It just is slightly defanged in a way that, like, it doesn't need to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the great lessons of the 80s is that you don't need to, like, over-engineer your guitar sound. Yeah. Like, like just just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Let the flag fly. That's right. Um, I, um, oh, go ahead. No, I just, uh, I, I was curious, uh, when you were listening to, to this, did you, uh, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but there's this, uh, there's a song, there's a song on the album called Fade Away and Radiate. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think it's from the liner notes on the Replacements album, Sorry Ma, there's a song called Shiftless When Idle. Yeah. And it says something in the liner notes, I'm going to butcher it, but to the to the extent of title of song excellent song not so much yeah i I think it's i think it's even better i think it's like song kinda (laughs) but that's kind of the vibe i got when listening to that song like i really like that chorus yeah but you know like i feel like the name of the song is better than (laughs) than the actual song yeah i've got that In, in my notes i actually have that one flagged as like when I talk about the step down to the filler, like that's, that's the primest example of like, 
you know, like it's not it's not a crime against music, but it is not as good as the other stuff on the album. But it's yeah. uh, it is kind of weird because like the last like maybe twenty seconds, it like descends into this reggae song, <laughs> and then ends. Yeah, that's. It's you know, interesting. I would like to know the backstory behind that. Like, <laughs> well, they, I, they definitely like had kind of a clashy interest in reggae. You know, um, the tide is high is pretty much a full on. It's at least a full on reggae beat. Um, you know, I, I, that, and that's part of. We talked about like underestimating them, and that that's kind of a thing that I had always under I think I not only underestimated but like stupidly looked down on on Blondie for like you know having songs that had like a reggae element or had a disco element and like I don't know why I thought that was a bad thing but now I look at that and I'm like this is fucking great they're like curious about music and incorporating all kinds of different wild shit and like that's that is what I want out of a band is to be kind of omnivorous and you know the 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 weirdest thing on that level they've got that song rapture that incorporates you know some some early like proto rap and i knew a guy who claimed with a straight face that that was um blondie the band inventing rap which is a bold bold claim yeah, that is a bold claim. Um, yeah, I that's a strange claim too. Yeah, it's it's horseshit. Uh, I'm really surprised that that's a uh... huh. That's uh, a hard one to figure. Yeah. looking through well so i mean let's talk about let's talk about disco what do you make of heart of glass really like it's hard to hear it with fresh ears but yeah i mean i I guess i kind of like it um you know like i think and part of this is listening to that you're wrong about podcast about disco yeah um you know like i don't think i ever really gave I don't know. I think I just had a negative impression of disco. And so I, uh, I don't know. I don't think I ever gave anything disco a chance. Same. And like, it's, it was a weird thing to reevaluate, you know, just cause I mean, the age we were, I, I think we both just kind of absorbed like, well, disco sucks. Um, you know, as boundary conditions when we were kids and it was kind of a different thing to like, as an adult, be like, well, where does that come from? Why are you thinking that? And like, what the fuck about a particular beat or way of playing bass is disqualifying? Like, it's so stupid. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird that that's a, that that's the. I don't know. I just, I just wish it was, I wish I wasn't so, I don't know. I wish I was more open-minded when I was younger, I guess. That's my. You can always make up for it 
I know. Yeah, oh, I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth going through song by song. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think my recommendation would just be to to give it a spin and see what see what works for you. Yeah, I agree. I um. Yeah, even if I'm complaining about or not complaining, but talking about filler, like it's never not interesting. You know, I mean, I've just if I look through my individual song notes, I've got like this one sounds like a '70s sci-fi movie with the keyboard opening. This one sounds like it's going to be a Thin Lizzy song. Um, this one has country chords. I'm like, that's that's a pretty wide variety in the space of one disc. Yeah. Do you um? What do you? So as the kind of musical expert, like, do you know what the country chords are? Um, I didn't sit down and... So for me, the song that flagged that was I'm Going to Love You Too. Um, I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a guitar in my hand to, like, work out what it was playing. But, you know, usually that's going to be just, like, the major key, one, four, five, you know, so, like, G, C, and D, or E, A, B, you know, just the, uh, on a guitar, like the root note, the note above it, uh, you know, one string across, and then, then the note two frets up, playing chords, and like, depending on how you voice it, that's either going to sound like punk or like country, like, all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm more used to, like, lute fingering so you know like you're no i that does explain the giant sting poster on the wall behind you <laughs> that's right I'm, like i you know like i'm this is not true but i i kind of want to tell people this that you know like i fucking hate the police but i love sting <laughs> like <laughs> that that opinion has to be out there somewhere Some, there has yeah, to somebody, be there has to be somebody one has person. it you, actually you know who i I would bet money that Sting's wife has that opinion. <laughs> you know, she's like, now that you don't have to deal with those terrible other two men, you, you can really make good music. Yeah, that's... I don't know. That's, just, uh, that's fun. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I... um. I don't know, like, I, I wish I had more in-depth to say with this, but, uh, you know... It's yeah, just, it was a good pick, a... though. Like, I, I feel like it was a fun one. Like, it was, uh, um, I don't know. You know, like, sometimes you just, uh, sometimes it's just good to, to uh, you know, get a, get a fresh, fresh look at something. Yeah. I, um... So if you had to pick a favorite song from the album? Fade Away and Radiate. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> not favorite title. <laughs> yeah, it would not be that one. Um, so I kind of want to pick Hanging on the Telephone, but, um, you know, like, I feel like that's kind of... Because I, I, I think that... I would say that's probably my favorite. What's your favorite? Hanging on the Telephone. Undeservedly. Yeah. It's just it's a, that's a great fucking song. That is a great song. Like it just, I don't know. Like whoever 
thought of the idea of like putting the like like the ringtone like in that song is a is a genius because I, I yeah. like I love that like yeah. that's that's like the perfect kind of corn you know it's corny but in a good yeah. way yeah oh, but it's it's beautiful yeah. um I don't know anything else on the album I don't think so right on well um I guess that's it for Parallel Lines. Thanks for hearing us jar our way through it. Do you have a, uh, a next album to drop? I do. I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to go famous artist a little bit uh, sort of uh, out of left field a little bit. Um, I'm going to suggest that we do Jimi Hendrix uh, Electric Ladyland. Right on. Right on. So, um, you know, this would be a good... I mean, one of the challenges I have with, with some classic rock is I sort of, like, I, I got into it on, like, greatest hits CDs. Yeah. So, you know, like, you don't you don't hear the, the album tracks as much. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be, that. that's, for me, like, every time I'm, like, every time I'm, like, I'm going to take a run at Hendrix. Like, I always just kind of bogged down. I don't know, I... I get bogged down on other albums. I'm like, never really go into that one. I'm a little worried that I'm going to get confused and just listen to the Butthole Surfer's Electric Larry Land. That would be yeah. fun, too. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll have an interesting conversation then. Uh, no, that's a that's a cool pick. What What if you were, uh, I mean, that would be, you'd be able to give me like the, you know, like your view on, you know, Gibby Haynes as a, as a man. I don't, you know, a few years ago, I would have been like, fuck him. But um, I think that was based largely on me siding with Wayne Coyne and some beef the two of them had. And <laughs> now that Wayne Coyne's kind of showed his ass, like, maybe Gibby Haynes isn't so bad. I don't know. Yeah, um, the, I think the beef was him, was him accusing the Flaming Lips of ripping off their concept. Yeah, which, you know, anyone who has a dog named Mark Farmer of Grand Funk Railroad uh, and considers is... that dog part of the band, they can't be all bad. Oh, uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Um, I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And, uh, I'm Chad Cook. You can find me uh, at... Uh, committee for pardon for Steve Bannon on Twitter. <laughs> Don't you need to disband your committee now? That well, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations for your. Uh, That's right. Your successful campaign. Um, yeah, if you've got anything to say, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if there's anything you like or don't like or think we're a couple of dumbasses, did occur to me if there's an album you want to hear. Um, you know, I. I don't want to speak for Chad, but I'm I'm persuadable on my picks. If, yeah, if yeah, that'd be fun. Shows up and makes a case that we need to talk about the Chris Gaines album. You know, like I'm I'm persuadable. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you dug the show, please tell people about it or go to iTunes or Google Play and uh, leave a review. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon as we uh, travel to Electric Ladyland.